To adorn something is to make it more beautiful. At Christmas, we adorn our homes with lights and bows and garlands, and even those of us who get a little grumpy putting up decorations and buying more lights every year do it. Now, we do it because it's Christmas time, and we do it to honor Christ. How appropriate, then, that our study of Paul's letter to Titus would lead us to consider adorning the doctrine of God as well as honoring the Word of God at Christmas time. Two weeks ago, Paul centered our thoughts on honoring the Word of God, and we discovered that we honor it by obeying it. We honor the Word of God by living lives that put it into practice. And Paul got very specific, you'll recall, in pointing out how some are to honor the Word of God, what their lives will look like if they are putting God's Word into practice. Well, today he uses a new phrase and changes his target audience, but the message pretty much stays the same. He speaks of adorning the doctrine of God. Now, the Word of God and the doctrine of God is essentially the same thing. The Word of God is what God said, and the doctrine of God is what God taught through His prophets and apostles. And the doctrine of God is adorned the same way the Word of God is adorned. It's adorned through obedience, through putting into practice God's will as revealed in His Word through His spokesman. Now, Paul has already noted how older men, older women, and young women are to honor the Word of God. Now he moves to show how young men, teachers, and servants are to adorn the doctrine of God. He begins with young men. Continuing our study in Titus chapter 2, verse 6. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Now, Paul emphasizes the fact that Titus is to urge the young men to be sensible. When he says, likewise, I think it's understood that he was also to urge the older men and women, and that the older women were to urge the young women to be sensible. But by specifically linking the urging to the young men, he may have hinted that it might be a little harder and perhaps even more important to get young men to be sensible. Do I have an amen, girls? Okay, all right. Well, what does it mean to be sensible? Well, it simply means to use their heads. As we noted previously, the word means to be of sound mind, coming from words to save and the mind. Young men are urged to use their heads, to let their heads rule, not their passions. And that is sound advice for young men. For as Barclay pointed out, their blood runs hotter and their passions speak more commandingly. 
So they need to be exhorted to use their heads, to be sensible. Or, as it is also translated, to be self-controlled. And make no mistake, even Christians need to exercise self-control. You know, we sometimes get the idea that since we've been given the Holy Spirit, all we need to do is just let go and let God. That if we will just get out of the way, His Spirit will take over and cause us to do the right thing. Now, that might sound good, but thinking that we've done so takes away personal responsibility for our actions. You know, if we let go and let God, God can become the scapegoat for whatever we do. After all, he did it. You know, not us. It's far better to link together the Holy Spirit and our spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to direct us and to empower us to do the right thing. To exhibit a spirit-directed and empowered self-control. That makes us responsible for what we do while relying on the Holy Spirit to make it possible. I think that's not only far better, it's more biblical. And while it might seem like splitting hairs, it is important that we get it right. If we're going to adorn the doctrine of God by doing what the Bible teaches, we better be sure we understand what the Bible actually teaches. For example, we cannot settle for a vague notion of what would Jesus do. You know, we can know what Jesus would do. If we know what Jesus did and what he actually taught us to do. We adorn the doctrine of God, the teaching, the body of teaching given to us by God by doing what he teaches. And before we can do it, we have to know it. That means you've got to study it. As Paul told Timothy, we've got to study to show ourselves approved unto God. And young men in particular must work diligently to know the doctrine of God so they can live according to the doctrine of God. Young men are generally in the prime of life. And decisions made during that period of life can have long-lasting effects, affecting not only themselves, but their families, their children. It's imperative that young men use their heads, that they be sensible, that they carefully think through their actions and decisions, and that they make certain they line up with God's commandments, expectations, and priorities that are taught explicitly in God's Word. And they're to be sensible in all things. Now, there's no punctuation in the original text. So, in all things may very well go with verse 6, even though we didn't read it that way. The text could say, 
Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. If a Christian young man is to be sensible in all things, he will adorn the doctrine of the faith he professes. And since it's essential that a young man have an accurate knowledge of the doctrine of God before he can properly adorn it, it's imperative that he have teachers who teach it accurately and who demonstrate it by the lives they live. Continuing on, verses 7 and 8. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Paul now turns his attention from young men in general to one young man in particular. He turns his attention to the one to whom he is writing, to Titus. Titus is the yourself being addressed here. And if in all things doesn't go with the preceding admonition for young men to be sensible in all things, it certainly goes here with Paul's charge to Titus to be an example in all things. Titus couldn't just speak sound doctrine. He, as well as those he was teaching, had to live it. He had to show himself an example of good deeds. He had to demonstrate the kind of lifestyle that adorns the doctrine of God if he expected others to do the same. And just as he could not allow the young men to justify immature behavior by virtue of their age, he couldn't use youth as an excuse either. Paul made that crystal clear when writing to another young co-worker in the ministry. To Timothy he wrote, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example of those who believe. In other words, Timothy was to be an example to believers in all things, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Anyone who would teach the doctrine of God has an obligation to live it, to put into practice what he preaches. And even if it makes him uncomfortable to be thought of as an example, he needs to recognize that he will be viewed as such, whether he desires it or not. In fact, he ought to be willing to point to the life he is living as an example to follow. Paul did just that when he unabashedly said, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Now, that may seem terribly egotistical and egocentric. Watch me. Look at me. But it's not. It's not. Not if it is Christ we are imitating 
After all, an imitation is just that, an imitation of something else. And no matter how good an imitation is, it's never a perfect likeness of what's being imitated. So when you invite people to imitate you as you imitate Christ, you're not saying, I'm perfect, be like me. You're saying, do your best to imitate what I'm trying to imitate of the person of Christ. That's not egocentric. That's Christocentric. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do that. No one is going to be able to imitate Christ perfectly. But that should not stop us from trying to do so. And it cannot be used as an excuse for failing to meet our obligation to demonstrate the reality of our faith. You know, I appreciate the, the truth of the little bumper sticker. You know, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. But never let that become an excuse for your behavior, okay? We have an obligation to imitate Christ. And inviting others to imitate us as we imitate Christ is really more of a challenge to us than it is to them. It keeps us aware of our responsibility to live in a way that brings glory to the one we claim to follow. Don't be afraid. To say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't be afraid to view yourself as an example for others to follow. Especially if you're a teacher. You know, it brings a measure of validity to the doctrine we proclaim. It demonstrates it to be the real thing, to be pure. Now, that is not to suggest... That if we don't live it, it isn't true. For as Paul noted in Romans 3, 4, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. You know, our failure to live what we claim to believe and what we teach may make us into hypocritical liars, but it doesn't invalidate the truth of God's word. Nor does it necessarily make it ineffective. You know, after noting that some preach Christ from envy and strife and selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, Paul said in Philippians 1.18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. That verse gave me great encouragement in Bible college. I had become very disenchanted with some who were preaching one thing on Sunday and living something else during the week. The hypocrisy in leadership is appalling. And we see it when big-name evangelists are exposed as living lives out of God's will. It's hard. It's hard. It's, it's dangerous. We, we don't want it to take place. But even, Paul says, when they're preaching out of selfish ambition and for the wrong reasons, and they were teaching and preaching Christ in order to get Paul in more trouble. He's in prison when he wrote that. He says, hey, as long as they're preaching Christ, I will rejoice. So I don't care their motive. 
Because the gospel message is true even if the messenger lives a lie. Okay? So don't let someone's behavior become an excuse for your lack of commitment to Christ. People do that all the time. I quit going to church because the preacher, oh. Or somebody sitting in the pew, oh, you know what they did. That cannot become an excuse. That God be found true, though all men be made liars. I think that's very, very important. Still, to quiet the critics and to put our opponents to shame, leaving them nothing bad to say about us, those who would teach the doctrine of God should certainly practice what they preach. Okay? Let's take it seriously. Their lives should reflect the purity and the soundness of the doctrine they teach. The purity of something is affirmed when it's carefully examined and verifiably tested. And the purity and soundness of what's being taught is undeniably demonstrated when it brings forth Christian character and a truly Christian lifestyle in both the taught and the teacher. One other thing we ought to note about the teacher, even a young teacher like Titus. And believe it or not, I still think of myself as a young preacher. <laughs> yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> I came here when I was 25, and that was just 40 years ago. <laughs> Even a young teacher like Titus needed to be dignified. Now, we dealt with this when looking at uh, what was expected of older men. It does not mean haughty or stuffy or unapproachable. It means worthy of respect. And even a young preacher is to live in a way that causes others to have respect for him. And for his position. I really like what Barclay says about dignity with regard to a preacher or teacher of the doctrine of God. He says, dignity is not aloofness or arrogance or pride. Dignity is the consciousness of having the terrible responsibility of being the ambassador of Christ. Other men may stoop to pettiness. He must be above it. Other men may bear their grudges. He must have no bitterness. Other men may take offense or be touchy about their place and prestige. He must have a humility which is forgotten that it has a place. Other men may grow irritable or ablaze in, into anger in an argument. He must have a serenity which cannot be provoked. There is nothing that so injures the cause of Christ as for the leader of the church and the pastors of the people to descend to conduct and to words which are unbefitting an envoy of Christ. I guess well said. Well said. Demonstrating a godly dignity is how teachers adorn the doctrine of God. 
In fact, that's how any believer adorns the doctrine of God. And that is true whether he is a free man or a bondservant. Verses 9 and 10. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Slaves outnumbered free men in the first century. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And what Paul said here was to be directed to actual slaves, Christian slaves like Onesimus, the slave Paul led to Christ and then sent back to Philemon, his master. What Titus was to earn urge of bond slaves, however, can be applied to everyone who is in service to one another. And that's all of us. Most of us actually work for someone else. We are, or at some point in our life were, employed by someone. And if we are to adorn the doctrine of God, we must do so on the job, as well as at home and at church. And Paul's first word to us as employees is that we are to be subject to those in authority over us. We are to do what our masters want, whether we want to or not, whether we like them or not, and whether they are good masters or not. Peter made that very clear when he wrote, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. And not only are servants, employees, to be submissive, they're to go the extra mile and do everything they can to please their masters realizing that in doing so, they are actually pleasing the one they have named as their Lord and Master. In writing to the Ephesians, Paul put it this way, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service or men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Paul also notes we're not to be disagreeable or argumentative, and we're not to pilfer. We're not to steal anything, money or time. From our employer. We are to be faithful in every respect, completely trustworthy in the marketplace. And that, he says, is how we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We don't do it by simply coming to church, 
and singing hymns and praying. We do it by the life we live day in and day out. Now, that's not to say we don't come to church or sing or pray, only that those things are not ends unto themselves. Those are the activities that motivate us and impel us to live lives that please God, lives that adorn the doctrine we profess. We adorn the doctrine of God by living lives for Jesus, lives that are true. Being what he wants us to be as older men and women, young women and men, teachers and servants. Living lives that are reverent, sensible, and beyond reproach. That is how we honor the Word of God. And that is how we adorn the doctrine of God. May we take seriously our responsibility to live out our faith day in and day out in the home, in the workplace, as well as in our association with each other. Let's be faithful. Let's take seriously the call to live lives that honor Christ in all things.